Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Community Exchange Podcast brought to you by OpenWeb. On this podcast, we're tracking the development and growth of the community economy, the emerging economic engine of the open internet. We're doing that by talking to the leaders in media tech, trust, and beyond who are bringing it to life. Joining me today is Jeremy Halavacek, Chief Commercial Officer at Experian Marketing Services. You know, the the more people I talk to, data-driven advertising has been both the promise and the bane of digital advertising for as long as anyone seems to be able to remember. Um, You know, data was supposed to help advertisers hone in on their exact audience and create better experiences for consumers. But I think most people will tell you that promise didn't exactly materialize. Um, Brands complain about wasted ad spend. Consumers revolt against the big brother style, big data tactics. And that user experience, of course, is impacted um, by the need to to fill as as many pixels as possible on the screen with revenue generating ads at all times. So, you know, regardless, still, advertising funds the internet and it's imperative that we get it right. To Jeremy, the community economy is an opportunity for companies with high quality data sets to lead the way in creating a web that delivers advertising that works equally for publishers, consumers, and brands alike. Jeremy is no stranger to innovating solutions to difficult problems. He built some of the first programmatic advertising businesses on both the buy and sell side of the industry, and he's recognized as a leader in ad technology. Prior to joining Experian, he helped transform the weather company from what was a traditional cable network into a data and tech platform that was eventually purchased by IBM and rebranded Watson Advertising. Uh, Now, let's get on to our discussion with Jeremy Halavacek, the Chief Commercial Officer at Experian Marketing Services. To start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, and what kind of work you're involved with at Experian? Great. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. And uh, thanks for having me on here. I'm really excited to have this conversation. So, uh, I joined Experian almost a year ago as the chief commercial officer across both uh, our Experian marketing services business, as well as an ad tech company called TapAd, uh, which we acquired a little over two years ago. Uh, I've been deep in the, the data-driven advertising space for uh, close to 15 years now, um, most recently at the Weather Company, which became IBM Watson Advertising. Uh, before that, I was at one of the early agency trading desks called Barrick Media, Um, So I've always had an appreciation for the value of data um, being used in digital advertising. Um, At the same time, there's a lot of change in the data space. um, And I think there's a lot of opportunity for companies like Experian that have high quality data sets and are building more, you know, ad tech capability and and kind of moving into this market, bringing what I think are very responsible and mature practices around data. Um, I think it's going to help us be really successful in the market. Great. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, and Francis, you're the Chief Advertising Officer at OpenWeb. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and the work that you do with us at OpenWeb? Thank you. Yeah, and uh, again, very excited to be here. Um, so I joined uh, OpenWeb uh, via, via acquisition. So I was the co-founder of Agilike, uh, which was uh, started in so January 2011. Um, we started up as a European kind of native ad platform uh, back in the day. Uh, I've really grown as a as a, an omnichannel SSP and started working with OpenWeb uh, over those years. I've been in ad tech from twenty twenty oh three, I think. So I've, I've been been in the game a little while, and and um, you know 
the combination of, of Agilike and OpenWeb and Jing and other businesses has been brought into, into the fold more recently. Uh, it's super exciting. We're, we're kind of building this kind of community economy, building this, this kind of the community platform as we're looking at it. And data is a very core element of that. And my role is to really kind of build our demand facing um, business, which is, which is a lot, but we're, 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 do, we're getting there. All right. Thanks for joining us. And like you said, this podcast is all about the community economy. And when we say community economy, um, I should probably just define some terms. What we're referring to is the future state of the open internet. And we see it emerging today. It's this kind of like new configuration um, where publishers and brands can become with their community an economic engine that's empowered to thrive independently um, specifically beyond the wall gardens that really characterize Web 2.0. Um, so of course, key to this is their ability to understand their community, their users, their consumers, their audience, you know. Um, so I'll throw this question to Jeremy. Um, you've said marketers need to curate the data that they collect. So given the changing dynamics and the rising importance of community, what kind of data do you believe marketers should focus on? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And I think... Um... You know, my sense is that, uh, you know, things kind of change, but they also stay the same, right? So marketers are always going to be interested in some very core principles, but technology changes, environments change, um, and they have to think about how to apply those core principles to the modern uh, ecosystem, right, that we all work in. So, you know, the things that I think marketers uh, care about today, just as they did many years ago when they were looking at television or print or you know, early online advertising, um, they certainly care about identity. Um, so they want to know how many users they have, right, in certain channels or environments, whether that's a streaming environment or a mobile app or a website or on a publisher. Um, they want to have an idea of just who are those users. Um, and then there's a second, you know, set of characteristics, which, you know, roughly referred to as behavioral characteristics. So, uh, once you know a little bit about, you know, maybe you have Jeremy on your properties, what do you know about Jeremy, right? Uh, maybe you have some information about his uh, gender, family background, household income, um, some of his interests, right? Um, and that's all for the purposes of creating a better experience, both for advertising and content, right? So uh, personalization, uh, when done well, uh, and not, you know, annoying or bothering users, um, is a great thing. And it, it adds value to the, the experience of the publisher. It adds value to the experience of the user. Um, and it helps make the marketer more successful. Well, a question for you to, to, to add on to that, Jeremy, would be obviously curation can kind of work on, on multiple levels. How do you feel like there seems to be a kind of movement in terms of curation on the sell side? Is that something that you kind of see? And, and what's your kind of view there? Uh, yes, I completely agree with you. And I think that that movement is picking up steam very quickly. Um, I think, as we all know, we've read headlines now for many years about cookies going away and changes from, you know, whether it's big companies like Apple or, you know, various government policies. Um, but I think there is uh, a real move to let the um, the entities that own the relationship with the consumer, right? And, and I would traditionally think of that as publishers um, more than any other ecosystem player. Um, you know, I know great publishing brands like, you know, the Weather Company or the New York Times or the Washington Post or NBC Universal or, you know, all these great media brands that I've known for many years. 
um, I have relationships with them as a consumer and you know, I'm, I might be okay sharing some portion of personal data, whether that's an email address or, uh, or some other kind of identifier. Um, I think that's reasonable. Um, you know, with certain brands, I have relationships, right? So I think marketers can also build some of their own first party data, um, but they're never going to have as much scale as, as a publisher or folks on the sell side. Um, so I think as long as the, the two principles in the, in the classic, um, you know, marketing equation are, um, the ones making these decisions and making them in a responsible way, I think that's good for the ecosystem. Uh, I think where things can run into trouble is um, if there's too many uh, middlemen that are behaving irresponsibly with data, right? Uh, that's something I think we've seen in this uh, in this market for you know over the past ten years, um, and that's really problematic, right? And I think that's going to be um, cracked down on by governments, tech platforms, others. So I just think that treating data in a responsible way. Uh, is going to be critically important. And I think the people who are most equipped to do that are, you know, one, the big media brands on the sell side, publishers, um, and to some degree, the very largest uh, marketing brands. But I really think publishers at the end of the day are going to have the most scaled first party consumer relationships. Um, and that's that's got to be the focus for, you know, I would say the next five years at least. Sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that there's also questions around how people access that data from the sales side. Do you have any kind of view of, of, of what, what the winning strategy is there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one, I, I, I like the term that you used earlier around curating, right? So uh, I've talked about this in, in past lives and various articles, you know, you can collect data, right? You can sort of pile it all up and, and have a really big pile of cookies or maids or emails or IDs or whatever you happen to be using, that's fine. Uh, but the value really starts to unlock once you curate that data and you understand what you have and you start to apply it in intelligent use cases. Um, there was a, a meme that was going around a few years ago of Lego bricks, right? And it sort of showed, you know, a big pile of Lego bricks mixed together. And then it showed sort of organizing them by shape and color and then ultimately building like a, a really beautiful little Lego house. Um, I actually worked at Lego earlier in my career, so I really like that meme, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's a nice way of expressing the idea of curating, uh, collecting, curating, and activating data in a way that ultimately delivers uh, an end product or, or value, right? Um, and I think we're still in early phases, right, with a lot of parts of the ecosystem. I think many people are focused on collecting, so they want their pile of Lego bricks to be as big as it can possibly be, um, but they may not have done all the work to organize that data, clean that data, uh, curate that data, and then ultimately build some sort of uh, product of value, right, at the end. Um, and that's where I think, you know, publishers and, and others in the ecosystem um, probably need help, right, from the right companies to, to do that. Um, and I think that's a big opportunity in the space. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and you mentioned in there the responsible collecting of data. Um, so one of the keys that makes this whole system of the community economy really work is trust between end users, publishers, brands, you know, everyone who collects data, basically. Um, and I think for a long time, you know, the whole 
online ad ecosystem has seen trust as a nice to have, you know, something that is, is a good add on. Um, but I think as we move ahead into this more kind of decentralized model, it's, it's a must. Um, so on that note, how do you balance respect for data privacy with the need to deliver results for advertisers and, and like you said, improved experiences for users as well? Yeah, I, um, I totally agree. And I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a trade-off, right? Or, you know, you use the word balance there. I think advertisers and marketers want the same thing, right? I, I don't think they want results that are, you know, uh, come together through some shady kind of backdoor data practices, right? That's ultimately going to hurt them in the long run. Um, and I think brands are well aware of the, the risk that that brings to the table for them. Um, you know, an interesting thing just about Experian as a company, we have a long history of, of managing data from consumers. We've done this for over 100 years. Uh, we've become more active in kind of the marketing ecosystem in kind of the recent years and decades. Um, but it's been fascinating for me to work at the company and see, you know, exactly how much effort goes into uh, protecting data, storing it in a secure way, uh, you know, as, as we were trading emails to get ready for this podcast. There were a couple of things that were behind a firewall and we had to, we had to get those sorted out. So security is critically important. Um, and then I think also having um, a some kind of mechanism to communicate with consumers um, if there's something incorrect in their data. So in our core business and credit reports, um, if there's an inaccurate piece of information on my credit report, that could affect my, my mortgage, that could affect my... Uh, my ability to get a credit card, right, and use credit in the world, which is essential to everyday life. Just think about everything you're going to do today when you buy a cup of coffee or a sandwich for lunch. You need a credit card that works. So we take um, not only the security, but the accuracy and the the consumer relationship around data incredibly seriously. Um, and we have a variety of of services around that, which were very interesting to me because this doesn't happen so much in a lot of the digital ecosystem, but things like customer service departments. So if your credit report is wrong, you can call up Experian and get that corrected. And there's digital ways to do that too. Um, so I think that's actually a really interesting insight and model for the digital advertising ecosystem to say, hey, are we servicing consumers, right? Um, you know, I know we've made some efforts around, um, you know, uh, you know, icons on ads and things like that. And, and that's that's a good start. But I think you have to think about it in terms of like, what if your your grandmother, right, wanted to to make a change to her online digital profile? And we're in a world now where there's plenty of people using the internet. It's not just um, smart, young, digitally savvy folks. So I think the idea of customer service um, and really making sure that customers and, and users feel like they're in control, they can correct errors and, um, you know, set the record straight on the, with their data is, is really important. So I'm excited to see that come to more of the, the digital advertising ecosystem. And um, again, that's why I'm, I'm bullish on Experian, obviously, because um, that's in our DNA, right? That's not even a negotiable question. It's just what we do. Sure. Do you think that we as an industry do enough to kind of educate users around data and the value of data and the trade-off between you know free internet and, and um quality publishing and all these kind of other things <laughs> no no not at all i mean it's it's uh 
you know, I was joking earlier, but you know, last time you explained what you did to your parents or your 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 uncle or your grandparents, right? Like we work in a very sophisticated industry. There's a lot of incredibly smart people in this industry. Um, that's fantastic. And it makes me really excited to come to work every day. Um, but we also need to recognize that and acknowledge that, you know, many of these advanced things that we're doing, whether it's around data or AI or analytics or, you know, uh, technology, you know, to the average person, um, they can be pretty confusing, right? And the part that I really liked about what you said there is that um, even if you don't understand the nuances of maybe how a, an ad call, you know, gets tagged with a, a, a piece of data, um, we at least need to educate consumers that data-driven advertising uh, allows the creation of high quality content from the best publishers and media owners in the world, right? And I'm personally very passionate about um, the role of high quality um, media and publishing content and, and what that, the role that plays in society. Um, we could go in a lot of directions on this, but I think we, we all know, and I think it's actually been demonstrated to us over the last, uh, I'd say, five to 10 years that, you know, things can get a little little hairy, right? If um, we're not curating, editing, um, supporting the very best, you know, news, weather, sports, and information outlets, um, political outlets, right? A, a lot can go wrong in our world. And, uh, you know, media is just a really important part of, um, you know, what I would call like the social contract of, of living in a democracy. Um, and I think we need to appreciate that. And, and my one hope, I think, of some of the, the challenges of recent years is that maybe we've shined a light on that. And we need to remind ourselves that actually having really high quality uh, news and information all the way up from the, the largest uh, national publications down to your, your local newspaper or blog or whatever it may be, um, that's really important in terms of how we go about our day um, and make important decisions, right, around politics or money or family or friends or where you live. Um, so we just have to support that ecosystem. And um, that's something I think we can do a lot more explaining around is, is why that's important to have. Uh, cool. And, you know, you mentioned before uh, there is a regulatory component to all of this um, and one that we can probably expect to continue to grow. Um, so how do you see the relationship between marketers and consumers evolving? You know, some have characterized this as like a, a new era of privacy regulations. Uh, for sure, right? And if you follow uh, local news and headlines from those high quality publications, you know that uh, many states in the United States are uh, putting legislation in place uh, right now, right? Um, I think there was, a, I think it was Iowa or, or a state just recently uh, passed some new regulations about how they want digital data to be treated. Uh, these bills have been back and forth in, you know, Congress. Uh, you know, I've been involved with the IAB and other groups around this. There's a lot of people who are working on this. Um, so, you know, I think we're on a path towards, um, you know, what will likely become in the United States, uh, some sort of uh, national data privacy policy, right? Um, I think many folks recognized years ago that the way, uh, you know, federal legislation works in the United States is that, um, you know, the states are sort of these laboratories of democracy, right? So 
the states are kind of coming up with these various bills. California has their version. Uh, you know, North Carolina has their version. And eventually the federal government steps in and says, actually, we need to kind of unify all this and have one sort of system. Um, and I think we're on that path right now. Um, and, you know, I don't have the latest count in front of me, but I know there are, you know, five to 10 states that either have, um, you know, data privacy laws in place, uh, California being the biggest and probably most important, just because given the population there. Um, but you're going to see more. And I think we're, we're rapidly approaching the tipping point where uh, the federal government will step in and say, actually, we want to, you know, take the best practices from all these states that have started the process and build some sort of national law um, that really makes sense. And, you know, look, I think we need to be, um, you know, as a country and as an industry, we need to be thoughtful about regulation, right? Um, I don't want to lose all the innovation and, and smart ideas that this industry has come up with over the last 10 years. Um, and there's so much more to come, right? There's incredible things happening in AI, which are built off of data and, and involve privacy and information. Um, you know, so we got to be careful not to, um, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater or kill the golden goose. Um, but I do think you're going to see uh, more policy in this area. And the guiding principles that I always like to use, and I've heard this from attorneys for many years, um, is transparency and consent, which basically boils down to, do you know how your data is being used? Is that clear to you? Um, so that's kind of what we were talking about before in terms of explaining to consumers what's happening. Um, and then do you consent? Are you okay with it? And, and do you have the ability to say yes or no to that question? Um, and that's where I, you know, as I was speaking about the Experian uh, capabilities, right, of, of servicing consumers around their data, um, we have that in our DNA, right? So I think that model um, is going to be uh, coming to the dig digital ecosystem. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that folks like us on this call and, and Open Web and others can help shape that policy in a way that um, really works for digital innovation, but also protects consumers and gives gives us the right um, balance between those two uh, two interests. Thank you. That's super interesting. I, th I always find when when there is new regulation and new policies and things that come into play, you know, it, it also sparks a, um, a kind of evolution and a revolution in terms of kind of what people are innovating with. And you mentioned AI and generative AI. Do you is there any particular areas or any particular businesses that you see that are already at particular areas, even with, within the experience business that you see is kind of really kind of pushing the envelope and doing some, some cool things in, in that area? Yeah, I mean, um, I'll comment a little bit on AI. I worked for IBM Watson for a number of years, so I had some exposure to that. But I will also say that um, my personal view on that space is that it is still extremely early, right? A lot of the GPT-3 and 4 technology is, you know, weeks or months old. Um, so we don't really know where that's necessarily going to go. Um, I would say for, you know, Experian and for our business, um, the areas that are happening right now, right, where there's innovation occurring and, and different uses of data, um, you know, it's funny, in this industry, we've been talking about the death of the cookie for I think it's getting close to five years, right? I remember seeing that phrase in 2018 or 2019. So we've really been at it for a while. My personal thesis on that is that um, actually 
it's not so much about the cookies dying. It's about channels that don't have cookies are growing really rapidly, right? And for us, that's things like streaming television and CTV. So here's an environment that was built, uh, that was born without cookies, never never had them to begin with, right? So never had that baggage. Um, has grown really, really quickly among consumers, uh, is rapidly growing with advertisers over the last two to three years. And for us, I think that's a peek into the future, right? Because I think it's really useful to look at that market and say, you know, instead of speculating and imagining what the world without cookies might look like, well, here's here's a world right now where there's no cookies and let's just take a look and see how that operates. Um, and that's been a good business for us and, and other data companies are, you know, our competitors uh, because, you know, marketers, advertisers, content owners still need identity solutions, behavioral targeting, all those things that they've become used to in digital. They need those in the streaming environment, but they don't have the cookie. They don't have a DMP. They don't have, you know, all these tools of the 2010s. Um, so we're helping those companies um, get to what I think is, you know, sort of the best of both worlds, uh, the advertising performance that they want. Uh, but with, you know, data companies that have high quality data, perhaps a little bit better policies, we don't sell media, right? So we're not conflicted in any way. We're not like, uh, you know, a walled garden company where we have both the data and the media, right? Um, so we're just in the data game, right? And, and this is what we've done for 100 years. I think we're just introducing ourselves and getting deeper with uh, the marketing and advertising community. And, and we're finding that to be a really fruitful relationship. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, you know, we haven't had cookies in Safari and, and Firefox and, and various other areas for a long time. Do you yep. see, um, do you see measurement coming more into play? And in, in, uh, you know, attention is a big area that's kind of growing in, in kind of how people kind of look at these kind of things. How do you see that kind of evolving over time? Uh, great question. And you're you're uh, again, if if we were playing, uh, you know buzzword bingo five years ago, and we said, oh, do you think measurement's going to be a hot area? Like, I don't think anyone would have bet on that. Uh, but I was just at an event last week uh, sponsored by Paramount, a uh, big measurement summit that they threw, and we, you know, spoke a little bit about our capabilities there. Um, this is absolutely a, a really important and, and white hot question for uh, marketers and content owners. Um, especially in the streaming ecosystem, because there's so much growth and so many dollars being, you know, put into that ecosystem. Uh, marketers want to know what's happening, right? And the interesting thing about it is that streaming television has, you know, elements of television, right? That linear experience, long form content, sight, sound, and motion, um, you know, traditional ad breaks. We're not talking about banner ads, Um but also elements of the, the digital ecosystem, right? It's a little bit more uh, on demand, consumer in control, a uh, little bit more choice, right? This isn't necessarily like a scheduled environment, right? People are choosing shows that they want to watch in real time. So there's kind of like a, a, a elements of the digital ecosystem that we're all, you know, I come out of the digital side, so I'm, I'm very used to that. And there's elements of the linear system and they're meeting in the middle and it's kind of creating a, a world that is... Um, probably a little bit foreign to both sides, right? Um, I think if you come out of digital, you're looking at things like, well, how do I get a, a click or a conversion or something I can measure and, and get the value out of this? Um, 
but it's a it's a 30 second spot. It's a television ad. No one's going to click on anything, right? It doesn't work that way. Um, and if you're coming out of the linear side, you're saying things like, well, wait a second, should I use, you know, Nielsen ratings for this? And it's like, I think a lot of people are starting to look beyond that and say, actually, it's not just about reach and frequency. We do have more targeting capability and we do have more deterministic data. So maybe a panel-based approach um, needs another look, right? Um, so it's it's a fascinating space to to be in. I think you know you you're really smart to bring that up. That measurement is a is a hot area um, that marketers and content owners need to figure out. And I think uh, you know we're just happy to be part of that conversation, right? Because I think uh, there are ways we can help, um, and there are ways that we partner with um, a lot of the other companies in the ecosystem to solve the problem. Yeah, and we're talking now about how the basically the whole landscape of, of um, you know, digital marketing is changing, right? And we were talking about, you know, cookies going away. In many ways, they're already gone. Um, do you feel that the move away from cookies is an, in anticipation of those regulatory changes we were talking about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, if there's like one thing I would love to do, I'd love to be a fly on the wall at like, you know, the Google strategy meeting, right? Where they're sitting there trying to decide, like, what do we do here? Do we, you know, get rid of cookies and we've got this big ad tech business. We bought double click all these years ago. We have a browser and Chrome, you know, we have YouTube, you know, so many interesting assets. Like it must be, uh, if you nerd out on corporate strategy, that's got to be like one of the most interesting rooms to be in. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think um, it's a really challenging problem to say, how do we you know, preserve, but also evolve our digital advertising business, right? If you're somebody like Google or, or even a smaller medium-sized company or a publisher, uh, how do you evolve, right? How do you prepare for the future? Um, and where do you think regulations are gonna go, right? Um, that's not really determined either. Uh, Many of the states' laws are very different. Um, certainly, once you go internationally, right? Like we're not even talking about, you know, how the EU might be different than uh, than the U.S. Like that's a whole other challenge. You know, we've grown up in this world of a very open um, digital uh, internet, right? That goes everywhere around the world, and uh, you sort of have the ability to get to scale very quickly and uh, a lot of freedom to to try different things. Um, and I think we want to preserve, preserve that, right? I don't want to lose that innovation. I mean, I always say to folks like, look, on the whole, I think the last 20 years of developing the internet and the open web has been unbelievably beneficial to the world, right? I think I just think about my own life or people I know. Uh, there's very few people that I meet who say, oh, you know, I'd like to go back to a world without the internet, right? I don't, I don't think that's the case. So we want to preserve that spirit that's made the internet such a and the open web specifically, such an amazing thing for society. Um, but consumer protection is a real issue, right? And we, we have to find the balance in that. Um, again, I would point to like, you know, again, if not that I'm in any kind of Google strategy meetings, but, um, you know, if I were sitting in that room, I would think about things like the CTV example that we just talked about, right? Maybe it's not so much about shutting down cookies on desktop web, which let's be honest, is not really a growing market anymore. Um, maybe it's more about how do we plan for the channels of the future? Um, so let's maybe build those without 
the cookie issue at all, right? Whether it's streaming television or, you know, the YouTubes, the TikToks of the world, right? That's where the growth is. Um, can those be built without the baggage of cookies? And can we sort of grow our way out of the problem, right? That's how I would look at it. I would say rather than like, let's go back and reverse engineer, uh, you know, 20 years of desktop web advertising, I would say, actually, why don't, why don't we just focus on where the market's going and build those in a safe and um, privacy respectful way? Um, so that may be happening. I don't know. Not in that room. Like I said, it's my dream to be a fly on the wall there. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see where it all goes. Yeah. And um, that, that kind of relates to my next question here. So obviously, we've been talking about, you know, it's very important for brands to really be genuinely a part of the community. Um, that their consumers participate in and in the process to build those one-to-one -one relationships that empower them with the first party data we've been talking about. Um, so from the brand's perspective, uh, how, what do you think is the best way for them to leverage data to do this, to locate themselves in the center of that cultural conversation that's relevant to, to them? Yeah. I, I, and I think it touches on a lot of the points that we've talked about today. I think, um, you know, I've worked with at agencies, I've worked with brands and, and CMOs. And, um, you know, the thing I think they need, which I think they probably know this in the back of their mind, but we need to really uh, crystallize it, is some sort of feedback loop, right? Because what I see happening or what I, when I look back over the last 10 years, what I see happening is that, you know, marketers started using data. Um, they got better results, right? And a lot of their advertising, right? Whether it's programmatic ads or targeted ads, um, you know, those clearly worked better for marketers. So that was a plus. But what they didn't capture enough of was the feedback from consumers to say, you know what? Like, stop retargeting me, right? I've, I've seen that pair of shoes. I've seen that. I already bought that item, right? That's annoying. It's, it's no longer adding value. And I think if there was a way for marketers to capture more of that feedback, digest more of that feedback and understand that, um, look, they, you know, if you think about it strategically, why in the world would you spend advertising dollars to annoy your consumers? That is a lose-lose, right? You are spending your budget and you're actually working against your own KPIs. So I feel like marketers maybe don't have enough tools to capture what I would call, you know, some of the negative feedback from consumers around being over-targeted or, um, you know, uh, using their data in a way that they don't like. Because I think one thing that is, is really, really good about the programmatic and ad tech ecosystem is this is an ecosystem that's really good at optimizing, right? Like we get there and we like get right down to the, the most efficient, highest performing, you know, ad or dollar or click or cookie or piece of data, whatever, like this ecosystem is really, really good at optimizing. And I think if there was a way to start capturing some of the negative feedback that consumers might be feeling um, into these machines and systems that we use, I think, actually, I don't think, I, I know that most smart marketers would say, you know what, optimize that out. I don't want that in my plan, right? I need you to take that negative number and reduce it to zero because I don't want consumers having a negative experience with my advertising or my brand. So, you know, I think if there are ways to start capturing some of the uh, 
yeah, what I would call negative consumer feedback. I don't like this targeting. I don't like this experience. Um, you know, marketers would react to that, right? And they would very quickly stamp it out, right? Because they, they do not want to do that. Um, you know, it, it, one thing I'll, I'll just throw in at the end is there is, this literally just happened last night, but uh, there was a really funny New Yorker um, cartoon that I saw. And after this, I'll send it to you. Maybe you can include it in the podcast somehow. But it shows a woman sitting on a park bench talking to her friend. And, you know, the New Yorker cartoons, they're like great little style. And they always have like one sentence under it that kind of captures it. And um, the comment was, uh, I really don't like the, um, I want to get it right, but it's basically like, I don't like the uh, digital profile that my my digital advertising thinks I am, or I don't like who my digital advertising thinks I am. Right? Um, so I, I I saved it. I'll send it to you guys later. But it's it it does capture that right. Like you know, at this point as a consumer, you're using all sorts of digital products, and you know that there's a machine on the other side who has these ideas about you, and maybe they're wrong. Maybe you don't like them. And is there a mechanism for you to say, hey, that's that's actually not me. That's not correct. This is not what I want. Um, so I think the more we can capture that, it gets to that idea of customer service and, um, you know, listening to consumers. Um, I think that's the path out of this kind of issue that we've got right now. Do you think, are there any particular, because I think when you're, when you are part of a community like that, you generally tend to share more of that kind of useful information. Obviously you can still get the negative kind of feedback in there, in there as well, and that's all part of the process I think are there any kind of particular brands or even publishers that you think have fostered that kind of community culture well yeah I mean I, I think premium publishers think about this a lot right um, when I was at weather and, and knowing a lot of other really great premium publishers um, you know there is teams of people who obsess about you know your app store rating right or uh, why, you know, uh, a consumer might have stopped visiting a certain part of the site or are they using a new feature? Um, so, I mean, the, the weather company did a great job of that. I know that many other large publishers do the same. But even when I think back to being involved in those conversations, there wasn't always um, sometimes the data that we would get back from consumers and say an app store rating it's a little bit vague, right? Like I was always hungry for more detail, right? Like what exactly do you love, right? What what do you not what do you not like? Um, instead of just like, hey, I'll give you four stars or five stars or you know two stars or whatever, and and you can trend that on a chart and say, oh, we're going up or down. But um, I was always hungry for a lot more detail about um, what exactly is it. And even when they said things like, hey, you know what, I I didn't like that ad experience. It's like really good to know, like, why, right? Like, what about it, right? Was it too big? Was it intrusive? Were you in the middle of something? Did we interrupt your experience when you were about to watch a video, right? Um, was it just like off targeting? Was it not relevant to you? Uh, was it maybe like, you know, distasteful in a way, right? Like, I, you know, I'm not interested in uh, this weight loss program or whatever it may be, right? So capturing all that consumer feedback I think in a more granular and precise way um, is a really important thing. And I would, going back to the very beginning of our public uh, conversation, premium publishers are the best, is the best place to do that, right? Um, that's 
sort of the, the role that publishers play in the ecosystem. They are the, the hub or the center of that community, right? They sort of create the community. They're kind of the magnet that brings the community together. Um, and when you work with publishers, they, they use terms like that, right? We talk about uh, weather fanatics, right? Or news geeks or, you know, sports, sports nuts, right? Um, so publishers think about audiences and communities a lot. Um, you could argue that's kind of core to who they are. Um, so that's the right place to really capture that feedback around both content, advertising, and, and anything else that might be on consumers' mind. Publishers are always going to be the number one owner of that relationship. Cool. All right. Um, well, I think that's all we have time for. Um, but thanks so much for your time. I think we've really laid out how publishers, marketers, and brands, and users have a win-win-win a you know, in this kind of emerging framework outside the walled gardens in the community economy. So again, thanks for your time, Jeremy and Francis. All right, you've been listening to The Community Exchange, an open web podcast that tracks the emerging community economy and talks to the leaders at the companies who are bringing it to life. We will see you at the next episode.